Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Laura. We're married, and we like to do a lot of different things together. But what got us together initially was that we love to eat and we like to drink. And we love to learn how our favorite foods and beverages came to be. In each episode of this podcast, we'll talk about something delicious and answer the question, Where did this come from? Thanksgiving is next week. I can't believe that. I can't believe it. Either. I mean, I know it's true. I believe it. But I know the calendar says so. The calendar says um, so. But yeah, it still kind of feels like it's March in some ways. But then it also seems like this year has lasted for like five years. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's the year that'll never end, and yet the year that is just zooming by. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, the holidays are going to be different this year. Holidays are going to be weird. Which yeah. I might be stating the obvious, but we haven't really said it out loud yet. Right. Yeah. And different families might be doing different things, That's but true. it is, um, I mean, at least in Massachusetts and I think in most places in the country, COVID cases are going up. Um, our town yeah. just announced like we're, we're almost in the red, I guess, for the- The danger zone. The danger we're zone. We're on the highway to the danger um, zone. Yeah. They had like a, I think our incident rate was up like 6% from last Yikes. week to Yikes. this week it's gonna be it's really easy to kind of get complacent you know everyone's feeling know, fatigued by this. this but just do the right thing don't congregate in large groups as hard as it's going to be to not see all of your family in the holidays maybe stick to those zoom calls for thanksgiving and christmas this year yeah which is hard i mean it's hard for us like we both have pretty big families like yeah. big extended families mm-hmm. um and i think you know thanksgiving usually is when like all of my side of the family, like on my dad's side and my mom's side, that's like typically the big holiday where everyone is together. Yeah. Um, and then Christmas, it's usually your family, yeah. like Christmas Eve, a big Christmas Eve party. Which generally makes things easy for us splitting the holidays because it's kind of already written in stone for us. Right. But this year, it's just going to be a little, it's going to be, be a little weird. It's going to be kind of sad. But I am really excited to decorate for Christmas. Like I want to decorate today <laughs> i know I, and i'm i'm the one pumping the brakes here not because i'm not a i'm not a scrooge or a humbug or anything so like cranky. that no i'm not <laughs> i just have a i was like i just want to make sure i can get through thanksgiving first and then i, I can like mentally get into the christmas christmas yeah. zone i feel like i'm excited for christmas decorations just because it'll be like new stuff to look at in our yeah. house yes <laughs> We've been staring uh, at the same walls for the last eight months. So. Yeah. And so Having, is everyone else. So I we're know. right there with you. Yeah. Um, so I think I do feel like that's like why people are decorating early. People yeah, are after, ready. They people are. People are ready. So I do want to do a lot of lights outside. All right. Well, we'll we need to we'll buy some it. lights if that's the case. <laughs> anyway. We'll do it. Okay. On that note, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Where Did This Come From? The podcast where we talk about all things delicious and go into their origin stories. I'm yes. Trevor. Oh, sorry. I'm Laura. <laughs> and uh, Laura's talking over me. And I'm going to interrupt you. No. Uh, no. Um, today we're going to be talking about donuts. Mm, and donuts. this topic. Which is a good companion piece to last week's episode, which was coffee. Yes, exactly. Um, and this episode also was suggested to us by my little cousins, who are Joseph and Patrick. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They I knew they were your cousins. That. I didn't know they suggested the episode. <laughs> Yeah, they wanted to uh, hear about donuts. Well, I think they wanted to hear about donuts anyway. But anyway, they they are 
as they say, they wanted to sponsor an episode. So ah uh, yes, this is this is your episode, guys. We will be sending you the bill uh, for the donuts that we <laughs> ate this morning in preparation for this episode. Thanks for thanks for sponsoring us. Oh, also, we have a couple of people we need to shout out because of our our insta guessing game that we're running yeah, every single week. That's right. So we have two people. Um, several guesses, some some good guesses in there. We had scones as a guess. Mm-hmm. We had Biscoff. Yes. Um, good guess actually. there. Good guess outside good the box. Um, but uh, Leon, yet again, our number one fan, <laughs> guessed correctly. <laughs> good job, Leon. Uh, as well as my father. Thank. Yes. Good job. Good yeah. job, guys. Cheers. I think Leon was first, but we'll give shout outs to both. We will. We're so generous. Yes. <laughs> so donuts. Mm. Donuts are like one of my favorite foods. Pretty much. Yes. Along with tacos. Tacos and donuts and pancakes. Mm, Um, Oh, so good. But yeah, there's just, there's something about like a really good donut. Yeah. It's just. I'm right there with you. Sorry. A moment of happiness. I I zoned out there for a second thinking about the donut. So we literally just ate like an hour ago. Yeah. In honor of this episode, we got Kane's Donuts, which Mm -hmm. if you've ever stayed at our house overnight, you know, obviously before. Which hundreds of you obviously have. Yes, so many. We usually do get Cane's Donuts for people. Yeah, we got to show them off to the people that don't know about it. They're They're fantastic. Amazing. But anyway, shout out to Cane's Donuts. We had them for breakfast this morning. So we've had sugar and coffee. So this episode might go off the rails. We thought it would be most appropriate to do an episode on donuts by having a donut stomach ache. Yeah. here we are. Yep. There was some form of a donut... They've been around for a really, really long time. So it can be traced back to ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, all the typical places. Um, I'm kind of not going to go into that really because it's not as interesting. Um, There's basically like fried dough things all throughout history. Yeah. I mean, and like 12 out of our 14 episodes so far have basically started in Egypt or Greece. So we're not going to go into like the ancient history of of donuts, more of like what they are today Mm. and how, how we got there. So... Uh, one interesting thing is archaeologists do keep turning out fossilized bits of what look like donuts what? Um, in prehistoric Native American civilizations. Wow. Um, so that's, I think, the first... Localized? <laughs> yeah, localized. Yeah, that's like that's the first um, instance of donuts in America. So thanks, Now, is this Americans. in um, all of the Americas or specifically like in the States? I don't know. Okay. I'm just curious, like, if it was the Americas. <laughs> um, it like... says prehistoric Native American settlements. Okay. So, so, yeah, the U.S. So, the U.S. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, Sorry to ask. <laughs> the, uh, the donut as we know them today um, came to Manhattan, which was then New Amsterdam, Okay. from the Dutch. Gotcha. And there's also – so, again, there's kind of, like, disputed history because every, every culture kind of had their form of donut. So mm-hmm. – um, Israeli donuts, um, Polish donuts, everyone kind of like had their thing, but getting to New York city, it was the Dutch and it was the name, um, oily cooks, which was oily cakes, oily cakes, oily cakes. Yeah. So super appetizing. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> really, have this oily yeah cake. it doesn't really roll off the tongue um, as, as well, but they are delicious. So anyway, that is like the first instance of, of donuts from the Dutch. In the mid-19th century, a woman named Elizabeth Gregory, uh, her son was a New England ship captain. Ooh, New England tied to donuts. Yes. Love it. Uh, So 
she would make deep fried dough that would use um, the spices from her son's voyages. Mm -hmm. So like nutmeg, cinnamon, um, and she would also put lemon rind in oh. them. And so she would like make them and give them to her son, whose name was Hanson, Hanson Gregory, um, and his crew so that they could store their the pastry along the way. Um, and it would have some lemon, so it would like pre prevent scurvy. Donuts against scurvy. Donuts against scurvy. Wow. Um, and she would put hazelnuts and walnuts in the middle where the dough would like cook around it. So it was literally oh, man. dough nuts. Oh. Like dough and nuts. Oh so, my gosh. That's like very literal. I didn't know name. it was such a literal yes. thing. Yeah. It also sounds like, I mean, minus the the nuts inside, it sounds like what we know as like an old fashioned donut today. Right. Like yeah. I think there's a little lemon zest in Oh, like donut. in an old-fashioned like cake donut, yeah. I think so, um, so her son, um, Hanson Gregory, was like kind of um, credited with creating the hole in the donut. So, as legend goes, in 1847, he was steering the ship, mm -hmm. um, and they hit some kind of storm, and supposedly he was eating a donut. And needed to like put it down, and so he put the donut on the the wheel the of helm. the ship. Yes, um, on which the created thing. the hole. <laughs> steering thing, yeah. The boat steering thing. The boat steering thing. <laughs> he shoved the donut on the on the uh, wow. supposedly. So there's also that is disputed because some also some people also say like cutting out the middle helps it cook more evenly, and so you yeah. don't get this like big glob of dough that's what i've heard yeah. yeah so i thought the the steering helm uh story was a little bit more fun it's definitely so more interesting yeah. Share that one <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of donut stuff that happens um in the early 20th century okay so donut stuff donut stuff like don't a lot of a lot of stuff is happening for for, for donuts. donuts in america love it um so the first thing in April of 1917, the U.S. enters World War I, mm -hmm. which no one is super happy about. No. Um, and I guess, so Woodrow Wilson had just won the 1916 presidential election, so it was his second term. Yep. And his platform for his re-election was basically like, he's kept us out of the war. So early on in his second term... Mm -hmm. There was a German attack on American commercial ships um, that were going to the Allied forces. Right. I remember this. Yeah. And so after that German attack on these on these commercial ships, um, Wilson finally joined World War One. Right. And people were like not pleased. So I guess they had only seventy three thousand volunteers um, to you know young men signing up for the army. Yeah. Um, but they needed one million troops. Oof. So they had to do a draft. Is that when the draft started? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thanks, so, Wilson. And, and this was also when, like, American propaganda started circling yeah. like crazy. Like, we want, or I want you, you know, that poster. Uncle Sam and Uncle all that. Uncle Sam, yeah. So all these American troops, young, I mean, basically teenage boys um, were overseas in France and the Salvation Army was actually tasked with 
lifting the spirits of those troops. Okay. So they had um, Salvation Army officers, primarily women, who would go overseas with the troops um, and were basically assigned to, like, help lift their spirits. Whatever they Like, do. get morale going. Um, so these two officers, um, Helen Perviance and Margaret Sheldon, um, they were on the front line in France. Wow. And they... But in uh, the Salvation Army, not, like, fighting, right? Right. Gotcha. Salvation gotcha. Army, although they were on the front lines. So yeah, they, so they were, were given, there. like... Gas masks Good and, like, Lord. some protection and... But no weapons. But no weapons. To actually protect themselves. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And so they... Su- I mean, with all of the the stuff, the war that they witnessed, they realized that, like, having just tea and lively conversation was not enough to no. kind of boost morale of yeah. these troops. So, it's, like, often forgotten how horribly violent that war actually was. Yes. I mean, we're not going to get into that, but... Right. It was it was a horrible time and most of these yeah. I mean these were like very young kids. They're kids. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Now like, the cup of tea is gonna lift their spirits. Right. Um so they started sort of like sifting through the ration packs and they would get together like sugar and flour. One account said they went to a nearby village to like beg for eggs and mm-hmm. so anyway, they got the the fixings to make donuts. And so they would make donuts, like, in the trenches um, and serve the soldiers. And so, obviously, the smell of, you know, sugar and flour and... Yes. I don't know if they had cinnamon, but... It's very uplifting. It was very uplifting. I mean, it was, like, the first thing I did when we opened our box of donuts this morning. Smell them? Like, stuck my head in the box. (laughs) They smell (laughs) so good. It's a very, like, visceral smell for some reason. It makes you feel really good. Yeah. So I guess the first day that they did this, um, you know, the smell kind of like wafted through. And so the soldiers would come and line up. Um, the first day, they only made like 150 donuts. Okay. Which was kind of a lot for like doing them by hand. And they would like mold them by hand. and Because they didn't have a, what's it called, an, an extruder. Oh, right. Guessing it <laughs> wasn't a thing they like had the on the front lines. Yeah. In front of them. Um, they didn't have the Krispy Kreme conveyor belt in yeah. World War I trenches. Oh. Supposedly they used um, shell casings as rolling pins and cans for oh the gosh. mold. Oh I don't know gosh. if that's true, but... Um, I mean, I could see account. it being true. Yeah, yeah, they were using what they had around them. Uh, so it's kind of amazing. So the first day they only got to serve like 150 of the soldiers. Um, by the time they kind of like got their operation down, they were making thousands of donuts every single day. Just the two. They had to have had a team. I'm with sure them, they had right? a team. Yeah. But, but these two women were, you know, credited with coming up with the idea um, and executing on it. There were actually a few photos um, oh. in one of the articles that I found. It was pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, no, it is. I was thinking about these really brave young women, you know. Going overseas on the front lines with like no weaponry or yeah, no, no protection whatsoever, um, just to you know support the troops. So it's and they're staying impressive. calm in the middle of a battle by making donuts, which is wild. Yeah, um, but it it worked and it lifted morale, and the soldiers would look forward to it, and it was like a little taste of home. Yeah. So that. Kind of that. So in World War One, that sort of has like made donuts kind of patriotic almost. Oh, okay. um, so they have sort of this like patriotic connotation. Right, right. And this also carried over into World War Two. 
So the same exact setup happened okay. in World War II. In World War II, they were known as the Donut Dollies. Donut Dollies. Instead of the Donut Girls. So. Somehow more offensive. <laughs> yes, that is kind of true. Meanwhile, in 1920, a Jewish refugee from Russia named Adolf Levitt um, is responsible for inventing the first machine to form the dough, um, and, and fry it. So he had a bakery in New York city. Mm -hmm. It was supposedly near one of the theaters because the reason he decided to innovate, um, sort of on a piece of equipment, uh, was because the theaters would let out and they could smell sort of these delicious things Mm, frying in oil and he would get this huge long line out of his bakery. So he decided to um, make it easier for himself to more like mass produce donuts. Mm -hmm. So he invents this machine and basically it's a huge success because he sells it to other bakeries. And in 19, by the 1930s, he was pulling in $25 million a year. In donut machine sales? In donut machine sales. Well, I think also in donut sales like of his bakery, but... Holy mother. Yeah. So that's a lot of money then. A lot of money. A lot of money now. Yes. So um, in 1934, in the World Fair in Chicago, um, donuts were basically like the highlight of the World's Fair. Like that was the food. Um, And it was kind of marketed as the food hit of the century of progress. Wow. So like, Everyone gets donuts. Wow. Also, I should mention that donuts um, are one of the treats that sort of like survive the depression. Um, I want to say, if he's, if he's making, I mean, you, he was selling $25 million a year in the depression. By the 1930s, he was doing that. But yeah, the depression was... When did the... Uh, when, depression was what? Started in 19, late 1929. So yeah. Yeah. in the height of the depression, he's making that much money on donut yeah. sales. Yeah. That's wow. pretty good. So him. donuts are recession proof. Donuts are recession proof. Um, but yeah, so because the cost of the donut was less than a nickel. Um, so that was kind of like within yeah. the realm of possibility for like victims of yeah, the of depression. Also in 1934, um, Hollywood kind of makes the donut popular because in the 1934 film, it happened one night, uh, Clark Gable has to teach the other character, the heiress, um, how to dunk her donut in coffee. It's a very famous movie. Yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of like, because it was shown in the movies, it obviously popularized the donut even more. Um, because it's like, if the, if the Hollywood stars are doing it, everyone should be doing it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like the Depression was a time when films were super, super popular, too, because people needed that escapism yeah. from the real world. Yeah. Kind of like now. Honestly. Yeah. Like, Celebrity worship is we, not a new thing. Well, yeah, but I I actually meant like creativity. I think we've talked about this before, but like yeah. all of the creative media is kind of getting everyone through quarantine time. Like, yes. what would we do if we didn't have movies or Netflix or... True. Oh, speaking books. of, sidebar. The Crown is now available season four. We need to watch that. What? Yes, tonight. It's early. Wait, doesn't no, it usually it come out, around Christmas? It came out today. We'll talk about this later. Okay. 
while watching The Crown. <laughs> okay, great. So I mentioned a bunch of stuff is happening like yeah. around the same time. For this me. is still the 1930s. So this right? is still in the 1930s. It's a busy decade for donuts. A busy decade for donuts. Um, go donuts. But so also in the 1930s, a Frenchman named Joe Lebeau uh, traveled or moved from New Orleans to Paducah, Kentucky. And apparently, um, he w- had fallen on hard times, and he had to sell his secret recipe, which was written out on paper, um, and the name Krispy Kreme, oh. to a local store owner named Ishmael Armstrong. Ishmael started making these, these donuts, um, and he had his nephew named Vernon Rudolph selling them door-to-door. In 1937... Uh, Vernon Rudolph has this recipe, mm-hmm. um, and he is now in North Carolina in okay. Winston-Salem, now known as Old Salem. And he started Krispy Kreme Donuts in 1937. Wow. And at this point, it was just sort of a manufacturing site. It was just a bakery. They didn't have, like, a storefront or anything. Okay. And he would sell his donuts to local grocery stores, um, where they could be bought, mm-hmm. you know, so he didn't have any direct yeah. sales. Right, right. However, he found out that the smell of his donuts would like draw people to his building. And he would have to say, you know, like, no, sorry, you have to go to whatever street or yeah. whatever store down the street to buy these donuts. Uh, but he saw that as an opportunity. So he ended up cutting a hole out of the side of his wow. factory. Um, and creating a, a like walk-up window so yeah. people could purchase the donuts directly. Wow. Not much has changed in 70 years for Krispy Kreme then. Yeah, it, it's true. So yeah, obviously their flagship donut is just the, the plain glazed, which yeah. I do love Krispy Kreme. Which is what you watch like through the windows of the huge yes. machinery. So I wonder if that machine is the same basis as the one that... I think it is. Wow. Um, so the Ring King Jr., was Krispy Kreme's automated donut maker. Okay. And at one point, this was like the most advanced donut maker ever. Um, I think wow. it's the one that has like the little belt and you yeah, know, everything like the, kind of like happens at once. And yeah, and it's like the flipper arm that drops it into the oil and then it comes out onto the little conveyor, l- belt. conveyor belt under yeah. the waterfall of icing. Yeah, oh my so gosh. beautiful. <laughs> so I don't yeah. think this this version like had that. But anyway, so it is in um, the, the National Museum of American History. Wow. So it was donated to the Smithsonian Institute by Krispy Kreme um, on Krispy Kreme's 60th birthday. Vernon was a, a smart guy because they also had the, the light up neon sign to indicate to people that the donuts were... Super fresh, come on down, hot and ready, um, and it became a huge success. Wow. And they franchised out and um, are still I mean, in operation rest, today. The rest is history. They just opened up in in COVID times. They opened up their like flagship New York Times. I'm New York oh. Times. Times Square. Good lord. <laughs> Let's try that again. Their Times Square location, which. It's ma- it's massive Krispy Kreme in Times Square. Sure, yeah. I mean, you have to kind of like go big if you're going to be in Times Square. Yeah. Um, Which, if they can hang on until things are slightly more normal again, is just going to crush. Yeah. Well, I'm sure like 
I mean, because donut sales are pretty fast. And so yeah. they could, if they had like a walk-up window, similarly to the original. That's true. That's true. Um, they could probably distribute pretty safely. That's true. I think so. Good luck, Krispy Kreme. They did open one in the Prudential building. I remember vividly. Did um, not do well. It, it failed. I know. Surprising enough, Krispy Kreme went out of business in, in, in Boston. And I remember it was my freshman year at Berkeley. And it was in the Prudential Mall. Uh, for everyone who's not from Boston, the Prudential building is like our big, tall building in Boston, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a mall in the bottom of it. And they put it in there and it was open 24 hours when they first opened yet the mall closed at nine right (laughs) so you could go and wait in line in the middle of the night to get donuts but you're just like in this weird closed down mall mall. needless to say we obviously like hit it up quite a bit as you know freshmen in college it was really cool too because they had i mean i think all Krispy Kremes have this where you can just see like everything it's all open Mm -hmm. yeah um you see the whole assembly line yeah. yeah, it was cool. It's I mean, it was great, but I think being in, literally in the shadow of where Dunkin' Donuts originated, Yeah, um, Dunkin' Donuts just crushed People them. People were crushed loyal. Them. So that is actually my next point, so excellent awesome. segue here. Uh, so William Rosenberg, Bill, um, was the son of Jewish immigrant parents. Uh, and he was operating a catering business. So it was like an industrial size catering business. He was used to, um, you know, sort of like large scale operation. Right. And he noticed that donuts and coffee were accounting for 40% of his sales. So in 1948, he launched a donut shop called Open Kettle. And this was in Quincy, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, He lived in Dorchester. He's from Dorchester. All right. So uh, he was targeting, um, you know, basically blue collar clientele. uh, And he wanted to have like the best coffee and donuts around. So in 1950, he changed the name to... Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Which our New Englanders are very loyal to Dunkin' Donuts. Or now as they're just called Dunkin'. I don't really like that, I have to say. It'll never change in our minds. I know. (laughs) But, yeah, so this was, it was basically, like, a very unassuming store. There's, like, pictures of the first one. It kind of just looked like your standard sort of almost like a diner counter, Mm -hmm. a couple, like, little booths. um, And then they had just donuts and coffee, and that was, that was it. That was it. They didn't have the Beyond Sausage breakfast sandwich yet? They, they did not. I'm they so didn't surprised. get there. I'm so surprised. Yes. They're there now, which it is quite good, I have to say. Um, so by 1963, there are actually 100 Dunkin' Donuts shops. By 1979, there were 1,000. Wow. And today, wow. there's... Well, so the, the last article I looked at was from 2014, and there were 15,000 Dunkin' Donuts across the U.S. 14,000 of which are in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, basically. Fun fact. Yeah, if you are ever in Massachusetts, like, you know, and you can't see a Dunkin' Donuts, just, like, walk a block. You'll yeah. be able to see one. <laughs> and it's funny. If you try to give people directions, you're like, oh, turn left at Dunkin' Donuts. We're like, well, which which Dunkin' Donuts? You're like, well, the third one on the way. It's <laughs> yeah. the third Dunkin' Donuts. Instead of saying the third set of lights, the third Dunkin' Donuts, take a left, uh, bang right at the next Dunkin' Donuts, and you'll be good to go. Yeah. um so i think they're they're trying to get into the like california 
uh, market. They're in California. Which I know they're in yeah. California, but I don't know how successful they are there because... I think they do okay, sure. I would imagine. Yeah. I think it's probably like a novelty. It would be, it'd be yeah. like if like in and out opened here. Oh, don't tease me with that. <laughs> I think I'll check with my sister on this, but I'm pretty sure when they opened Dunkin' Donuts in Arizona, where they live, it was like a huge deal. Yeah. Like lines out That's the door. Because cool. it was new. But yeah. I mean, out West, I think it's less so here. We have the, our independent donut shops that we love. But I remember when I was living in the LA area years ago, you'd have your little strip malls and it would be like convenience store, liquor store, nail salon, donut shop. Yeah. In like all of them. Yeah. And these little donut, independent owned donut shops, which seemingly all the signs are the same, but it was like Donut Palace, Donut King, the right. Donut Place. <laughs> yeah. And they're all amazing. Yes. The independent owned donut shop. So that actually, so you're like very, um, you're like segueing very It's like nicely. one creepy mind these days. <laughs> I know. We're spending way too much time together. What do you mean? Um, I thought it was just the right amount of time. <laughs> I thought you enjoyed the time you spent with me. I do, of course. Anyway. Okay. So in 1975, um, well, okay. So I should back up for a second. So following World War One, or sorry. Let me back up again. Let me back up again and say that correctly. So following World War Two, there were a couple of mom and pop donut shops that opened up in Los Angeles. Some of them are op- like still open today. So Blinkies, mm-hmm. um, Bob's Coffee and Donuts, and Randy's Donuts, Randy's which is like is, yeah. iconic, has like been in a bunch of movies and shows and stuff like that. Randy's so. is the big donut, right? Yes. The big like donut yeah. landmark. Yeah. Yep. So there was an influx of refugees um, from Cambodia after the, or during the Khmer Rouge regime. Right, right. Pol Pot and horrible atrocities they yes. committed so a lot of so in the 1970s um a lot of you know these cambodian citizens came to the u.s mm-hmm. um and that was sort of the start of a major like donut revolution interesting so in 1975 a cambodian refugee named ted goy arrived in la Um, He was with his wife and family, uh, and he ended up getting a job at a gas station, which was across the street from a donut shop. Oh, wow. Uh, And he always saw that the the donut shop was busy basically all hours of the day, Mm -hmm. uh, and he made sort of a mental note that it would be a good investment. Clever. Really smart. Once he got more established. Um, He apparently went through some kind of like management program, uh, Winchell's management program. Oh, Winchell's Donuts. I'm familiar with Winchell's, yeah. Oh, are you? Yeah, it's a, it's a chain out in California, yeah. Oh, Very good, yeah. Cool. Okay, so he, I guess, went through that program. So he worked at Winchell's for a little while. I guess so. Cool. Um, and then he had sort of a big break um, because there was an opportunity to purchase an existing donut shop. So it's called Christie's Donuts in La Habra, California. Okay. Um, and he made a few changes. So one of the big changes he made was making the donuts fresh several times a day. Mm. Um, and he sort of kept it a family business. So he would sort of hire, um, you know, his family members or other Cambodian refugees. Oh, that's really cool. So within five years, he had 20 Christie's donut shops. Five years, 20 shops? Wow. Yes. And um, so Ted also sponsored 
hundreds of other Cambodian refugees and helped them either lease or buy their own donuts shops. Wow. So he kind of... Talk about being a pillar of your community. Yeah. And like so specific with like donuts. Um, but it's it's amazing. I mean, it's genius. It's it's honestly like what the cornerstone of this nation was built on and founded on, right? It's yeah. just that ingenuity, seeing that industry where there's space for something to be successful and just yeah. getting after it. Yeah, totally. And then it's lifting amazing. up the others around you too. That's a really, really cool story. Yeah, I know. I liked that story too. Um, apparently he also, um, kind of started the trend of the pink box for donuts, which oh, I think okay. is more of a thing on the West coast. It is, but I know what coast. you mean. Yeah. Um, so I guess he and some of his like fellow refugee donut entrepreneurs, donut, were, donateurs. <laughs> the donateurs, um, wanted to find sort of a unique, um, appealing alternative to just like a white box of donuts yeah and so a company called wesco offered them um, boxes made of pink cardboard rather than white and so they went with that and it was very distinctive Mm. and even um today the owner of voodoo donuts which is a famous donut shop in portland uses the pink box classic man go ted ted goy Good for him. That is, that's a really uplifting story. It is. I know. So yeah, that is sort of how um, donuts became so widespread and popular in California. Yeah. And then everyone kind of met in the middle of the country. Right. The donuts came from the east. (laughs) All those other guys came from the west and moved to the middle. Exactly. So I kind of sprinkled in the fun facts already. But one thing that I did want to note is... In the 1980s, um, donut actu- donut consumption actually took a big hit because of bagels. Oh, bagels became a more popular bagels thing. Bagels became more popular. So they spread out of New York. Yeah, in the late 80s and 90s. Um, and so a lot of, I mean, like Dunkin' Donuts started selling I bagels. I remember to how big of a deal that was when I was a kid, too. <laughs> yeah. I remember that too. It was, and you got a separate bag, like it was a brown bag. Yes. Um, yes, because the other like ones were the, like the waxy white the bags. The waxy white bags. Or and that the, was like the donut versus Or the, the classic donut yeah. box. And the whole, I mean, donuts are actually less bad for you than bagels are. Which is really surprising. Which is really funny because yeah. it was like, oh, well, I'm going to have the healthy choice of a bagel rather than a donut. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. We consider donuts to be this, like, epitome of bad-for-you food, which they're not healthy food. Definitely not saying that whatsoever. Right. But, like, compared to other things that are considered better for you, it's actually not true. Right. Yeah. Also, so in 1982, uh, Dunkin' Donuts began its famous Fred the Baker commercials. Time to make the donuts. Exactly. (laughs) And that character, Fred, was played by Michael Vale. He was part of 200 commercials over a decade. Wow. Yeah, and they would wheel him out for, I remember the, the holiday commercials and all that stuff, like the yeah. spooky Halloween donuts and the Christmas donuts. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, Fred the Baker. Fred the Baker. Um, so, you know, I mean, we have a lot of, uh, like, smaller donut shops now, but every once in a while, Dunkin' Donuts, it's great. It is. I mean, I think the draw at Dunkin' Donuts in this area is less about the donuts and more about the coffee, to be honest with you. True. For most people. Yes. Yes, I agree. The, the Dunkies iced coffee. 
Got my donkeys. My donkeys. So, um, so yeah, that is sort of the evolution of donuts in America. Could you say we've come full circle? <laughs> you can say Nailed that. Nailed it. <laughs> so, yes, I have a few sources. Um, so smithsonian.com, I had two articles from there, one on the history of donuts and one on World War I. Uh, toriavery.com. Uh, she is a food writer, also interested in the history of foods. Uh, Epicureandculture.com, NewYorker.com, Mashed.com, and KrispyKreme.com. Fantastic. Another delicious episode mm-hmm. in the books. And we've already eaten donuts today, so we're not like signing off this episode craving yes. the food that we're talking about so that's yes, we, we do have that's more different. we do have more to eat which we'll we'll talk about when we're not yeah. recording anymore yeah trevor might have overdone it on the donut what? order oh i think i was like i had like one donut i thought no. you meant the eating part yeah no no ordering. i definitely bought two we've got some, for two people we've got some extra donuts i mean we try to freeze them i don't know if that will work um I don't know. We'll we, see. We've got some work. To we'll do let you know way. if that is successful. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Yes, yes. Thank you as always. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at where did this come from underscore pod. You get all kinds of weekly pictures, our Wine Facts Wednesday series, um, teasers on the upcoming episodes, which next week is going to be our Thanksgiving special. Yes. Week coming up. So stay tuned for that. That'll be fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Stay well, be safe, and we'll see you next time on Where Did This Come From?